Welcome to our Think Kingdom podcast. We want to welcome you into week two of our new series, Mastering the Middle. Living in the middle doesn't always look how we thought it would. Hey, welcome to the messy middle. Let's go ahead and jump in and see what God's word has for us from our guest speaker, Pastor Aaron Thomas. I'm glad to be here. I'm grateful for your pastor, Antoine, uh, and how he's invested in my life and pushed me and challenged me as we live our lives in pursuit of Jesus and his kingdom. Um, And uh, this series, Mastering the Middle, I think is a really good and necessary one in this season that we're in um, because, well, partly because much of our life is lived in the middle. Um, the, the highs and lows and the, uh, the beginnings and ends of things tend to be pretty short, short seasons, and then we go right back into the middle again. And so if we want to live our lives well, if we want to master our life, then we must learn to master the middle. And the problem is that the middle is full of waiting. And we don't like to wait. Ours is a culture of of right now and high efficiency where we want to go from point A to point B as fast as possible in the straightest line as possible. But the way of Jesus and the way of mastering the middle is a slow way that involves learning to trust in the sovereignty of God. And trusting in the sovereignty of God just means that we're trusting that God is Lord over all creation and that he is in control of all things all the time. Trusting in God's sovereignty is hard, and it often means that you're waiting without knowing how long you're going to be waiting. And our tendency then is to take matters into our own hands. And uh, an, an example of this when I was a kid, um, I grew up in, in Midland. I don't know if y'all know where that is. It's the southern part of Cabarrus County. And um, we lived next door to my grandparents. They had a pond on their property, and my grandma loved to fish. Uh, but the pond for me was mostly a place to go throw rocks and see what I could find. Uh, but at some point, I decided, man, I really want a boat. I had never been on a boat, but there was a pond, um, and I wanted to take a boat on the pond. So I asked for one, and my parents were like, we don't need no boat. Uh, the pond was pretty small. You could cast from one end to the other by standing on the bank, so we're not going to get a boat. So uh, rather than trying to take the time to convince them or maybe save my money and buy one myself, uh, I decided I would build one. I would take that into my own hands. So I found an old door that came off of one of our bedrooms. And then I found a couple of uh, inner tubes from tractor tires. Uh, And then I tied those with an old clothesline to the bottom side of the door. So that was the flotation part of the boat, but I still needed a way to propel it. And my uncle had given me this old leaf blower, like the kind you hold in your hand. It just has the long snout. And I was like, hey, if I get on that boat and I stick the snout of that leaf blower in the water and I just crack the throttle, maybe all the bubbles will push the boat. And so I got in the water with my contraption and I I pushed out away from the, the edge of the bank. And then I cranked that motor up and I stuck the snout in the water and I felt like I was moving, but I think really I was just continuing to drift from where I stepped off the bank. And at some point, I ended up in the middle of the pond, and I was ready to go back. The problem was that my motor was doing no good. It was chugging away in the boat. And meanwhile, uh, I don't know if you can imagine inner tubes on the bottom of a door, but that's not a stable way to float on the water. So I'm trying to balance. I've got this leaf blower in the water. I finally realized it's not going to work, but I was in luck because I thought that might happen. And I had a paddle with me. But it obviously wasn't a real boat paddle because we didn't have a boat. Why would we need one of those? It was actually a broken hockey stick that I had duct taped 
a plastic like beach paddle ball paddle to, but that paddle had a bunch of holes in it. And I'm not really sure, maybe I wasn't thinking I was going to need it. I don't know why that was what I chose to be my paddle, but there I was in the middle of the water. And when I would go to paddle, that plastic was so flimsy that it would just bend over. So I'm trying not to fall in the water and paddle this stupid boat that I made. And all I wanted to do was be back on the bank. I wanted to be out of the middle of the pond. And so often, that's what it looks like, I think, to God when we take things into our own hands and try to rush something that we're not ready for. And if looking foolish was all that there was to it, then it may not be so bad, but too often, it hurts. When we, when we take things into our own hands, it hurts both us and it hurts others. And we're going to look in Genesis chapter 16, so if you have a Bible We'll turn there together. If not, maybe you have it on your phone. Um, but I'll, I'll read this for us. And before I get to the, the passage we're going to look at, I want to give you a little bit of context. Um, as Pastor Antoine mentioned, we're going to be talking about Abraham today. Um, and I want to start in the beginning of Genesis and see how we got to Abraham in the first place. Because the Bible tells us in Genesis 1 that God created everything. And he created man and woman in his image to rule and to reign over the kingdom of the earth. He had given it to us to rule and to reign. And that's hard for us to understand because we don't have kings and queens here. Um, we, we don't, like kingdom language is sometimes difficult uh, because most of what we know about kings and queens is what we learned from Prince Harry on Oprah. I don't know if y'all watched that. I stole that joke from another pastor. Um, but uh, anyways, um, God is the one true king. And he is the king over all creation, but then he made us to rule with him. He like gave us responsibility and dominion over the earth to rule with him, but instead of doing that, under his authority, our first parents, Adam and Eve, believed the lies of Satan, and they tried to overthrow God and rule under their own authority. Unfortunately, that rebellion, which this rebellion against God is what the Bible calls sin, that led to the brokenness that we still see and experience and participate in and create in the world around us today. Rather than living the way we were created to live under God's loving rule, people started to live under their own selfish, made-up rule or, or under the evil rule of Satan. And the Bible tells us how as people spread out over the earth, they brought that rebellion with them. And as they went, they continued to hurt themselves and hurt one another. But God did not leave us in that state. He, he again started with a man and a woman, but this time it was going to be a man and a woman that he chose to be at the beginning of a new family. And the family would grow into a nation and then show the whole world who God was and then live under his rule, loving him and loving each other as they went. That was the picture, that was the plan. And, and now that brings us to Abram and Sarai. Um, you may have heard of them referred to as Abraham and Sarah, but at this point in their life, their names had not been changed, so they're Abram and Sarai, and they were chosen to begin God's new family. But there was a problem, because they were old and childless. So how do you continue a family without children. But in Genesis chapter 12, God promises Abram that he's going to make him into a great nation and bless the world through him. The entire world will be blessed through Abraham's family. And then 
Uh, this is a beautiful promise that had to have brought tears to their eyes in their old age. But in Genesis 15, as, as Abram is kind of doubting this, God again promised him that he, he would have a son and this son would come from his own body. And that brings us to chapter 16. And chapter 16 takes place 10 years after that promise made in chapter 15. That Abram and Sarai were very much in the middle and I want you to imagine, if you can for a minute, just being Abram and Sarai that first month after God made that promise to them. You're going to have a child. We're, you're going to be a great nation. I'm going to bless the whole world through you. And so they are filled with hope and joy. But then at the end of that month, as Sarah's body reminded her that she wasn't pregnant, that was just robbed from them. And so then you think, maybe they thought, well, God promised. God's faithful He's going to do it. We'll, we'll try again. And so then hope builds again for another month. And then at the end of that month, it comes crashing down again. And that repeats over and over, month after month, year after year, 10 years. 120 monthly no's from God. 10 years now of doubt, of uncertainty. God had already promised but it had not yet come to be. And now this is where Abram and Sarai take matters into their own hands. And this is where we see the hurt. So I'm gonna read uh, Genesis chapter 16, verses one through six, and then we'll, we'll come back through and, and talk about them together. So verse one of chapter 16 says, Abram's wife, Sarai, had not borne any children for him, but she owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Sarai said to Abram, since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, go to my slave. Perhaps through her I can build a family. And Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So Abram's wife, Sarai, took Hagar, her Egyptian slave, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as a wife for him. This happened after Abram had lived in the land of Canaan 10 years. He slept with Hagar and she became pregnant. When she saw that she was pregnant, her mistress, talking about Sarai, became contemptible to her. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for my suffering. I put my slave in your arms. And when she saw she was pregnant, I became contemptible to her. May the Lord judge between me and you. Abram replied to Sarai, here, your slave is in your hands. Do whatever you want with her. And then Sarai mistreated her so much that she ran away from her. So I want to start back in the beginning, and this is a, a difficult passage, and I gave Antoine a hard time for asking me to preach on this, um, <laughs> but the Lord is sovereign, and he is good, and he is faithful, and so we're going we're gonna to walk through this together. So um, that, that first verse, I'm sorry, second verse, uh, or I'm, I'm confusing myself, first verse, Sarai had not born any children for Abram. And, and I remember personally the pain of infertility. Um, my wife and our three beautiful, awesome, wild, and crazy kids are over there. Uh, by the way, I love that y'all do this on fifth Sundays where children come into the service, where families come in together. I want this to be something we do at West Concord, and I will be going back and advocating for that. So thank you for, for modeling this for us. Um, but we, we weren't promised children the way Abram and Sarai were, but the, the scriptures tell us that children are a blessing from the Lord and it's good to desire them to try to have kids. And I remember the pain that I felt in the waiting 
month after month, year after year when that didn't come to be. But the pain that I felt each month, my pain was just a shadow of what my wife was feeling because her body was, was physically reminding her that she wasn't pregnant. It was a, a monthly reminder of that infertility. And in that season, it felt like every person we knew, because you know, after you've been married for five seconds, the most common question you get when you're at church is, when y'all gonna have some kids? And so it felt like everybody in our life had some kind of recommendation for how, how to make it happen, how to have kids. There's diet and exercise. And then there were some really weird and awkward church parking lot conversations that I wish I could forget as things were recommended to us. Um, but not only were we suffering, it was like our private lives had become public and people were kind of pulling that apart and they didn't realize, it was well-intentioned, all of it, but they didn't realize how that was just amplifying our pain. And my least favorite advice that I got was just stop worrying about it and then it'll happen. I can, I can tell you, we have three adopted children and we, it's now been nine years we, we're not worried about it anymore, and it still ain't happened. So that advice did not, did not come to be, did not prove true. Um, regardless of how we didn't want to hear that advice, we did try some of it. Because after all, we wanted to have kids. And, and as we tried, my hopes would get up, and then they would crash down again. And in the beginning of that season especially, I was not taking the anxiety and the hurt that I felt to the Lord. I felt like I could do something about it. Or I felt like something was wrong with me. I needed to change something. Um, and, and as I was doing that, trying to do it on my own, I just grew increasingly bitter, both towards God and towards anyone around us who was experiencing the blessing that I wanted. We'd hear stories of unwanted pregnancies and my bitterness would grow. And the more I tried to control my situation, the more hurt I experienced. The, the tighter I grabbed hold of it, the more I tried to keep it in my own hands, the more hurt came. And I think that's what we see here in, in Sarah. In verse 2, the way she refers to the Lord um, is, is clearly wrong when she says, since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. She's like she's blaming him, and I can feel that hurt when I read those words. And when you try to force things that God isn't ready to give you, you're gonna hurt yourself too. You become obsessed with a promotion at work, but the longer it takes, the more angry, the more bitter you become, the more resentful. Or you want a relationship, but there's no godly man or woman in your life, and so you settle or try to force something that only serves to get you hurt and then you blame God for the pain that you feel, the pain that you inflicted on yourself. Mastering the middle is learning to trust in the sovereignty of God. When we blame him, we're not trusting him. And this creates frustration and bitterness that hurts us. And as that, that hurt piles up, that self-harm piles up, we then start to hurt others, which is where Sarah turned from here. So in verse 3, says, Abram's wife, Sarai, took Hagar, her Egyptian slave, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as a wife for him. This happened after Abram had lived in the land of Canaan 10 years. In verse 4, he slept with Hagar. She became pregnant. When she saw that she was pregnant, her mistress became contemptible to her. And then in verse 5, Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for my suffering. I put my slave in your arms. And when she saw that she was pregnant, I became contemptible to her. May the Lord judge between me and you. Now, 
I want to kind of make a side note or a clarification. I don't want to beat up on Abram and Sarai uh, too much for the decision that they made here to have a child in this way. Um, But Hagar was a slave of Abram and Sarai, and that was wrong. Slavery is evil, full stop. In all of its forms, wherever it shows up, it is evil. No human being should own another human being. Humans were made in the image of God, and as image bearers, we are meant to live in community with one another and with God. We were not made to exploit one another. So Sarah's recommendation to Abram to have a child with Hagar was culturally acceptable for them at the day. They found writings from that millennia, and that was something that that women did. If they weren't able to provide a child for their husband, they would find a surrogate, and they would go that route. Just because something is culturally acceptable does not mean that it's okay. We can think of plenty of culturally acceptable things today that go against the commands of God or His will for our lives. Abram and Sarai exploited Hagar, but then... They had success in that exploitation, and that success only made things worse. As they took things into their own hands, they caused more pain. Abram and Sarai's relationship was damaged, which we see in verse 5 when Sarai blames Abram for the resentment she's feeling from Hagar, when she says, you are responsible. So now there's distrust in their marriage relationship because they tried to control something rather than waiting on the Lord. And, and Sarah, Sarah and Hagar's relationship, which obviously was damaged in the first place, became even more so. Hagar looked at Sarah like she was beneath her now, which is totally understandable given, given the imbalance of their relationship to start with. Hagar was the submissive one. She was forced to have a child with Abram, and now she's carrying what they thought was the child of promise in her womb. Sarai couldn't be a part of the fulfillment of God's promise, but Hagar could, or at least that was the understanding at the time. Sarai was angry because she had, because Hagar had, I'm sorry, Sarai was angry because she had received that promise from God through Abram, but then Hagar was realizing it. When someone else realizes or experiences something that you feel like is yours, it hurts bad. That's a deep hurt. What's meant for you is kept from you and then given to another, and then you have to watch them flaunt it in front of you. Verse 6 tells us what happens here. Abram, now he, he's in the middle of this by his own doing, and he just kind of takes his hands off. Here, your slave's in your power. Do whatever you want with her. And then Sarah mistreated her so much that she ran away from her. And we see a mirror in what Abram's doing here with what Adam did in the garden. He watched Eve be tempted by the snake. He watched Eve take a bite of that fruit. And then he just let that happen. He took his hands off and he watched, he watched that evil enter the world through his, his wife, through his own disobedience. She physically sinned first, but Adam was sinning right there with her as he watched her take of that fruit. And now we're watching Abram, rather than looking like his heavenly father, he's looking like his earthly father, Adam, when he takes his hands off the wheel. And the caused hurt takes on another level as Sarai runs Hagar out of the home. And they were nomads. Abram and Sarah had left their home, left their family, and traveled to a land that they did not know. So now they live in tents among people that are not kind to them. 
So the, the level of abuse that had to be taking place in that home for Hagar, who is pregnant, to run into the desert to risk that, whatever it was that she would find there, rather than stay in the home with Sarai, this, this was some, some harsh conditions for her. And Abram let it happen. He's following the happy wife, happy life. I talked about my least favorite like, advice we got about having kids. My least favorite of marriage advice is happy wife, happy, happy life. That, that, that is not from the Lord. That rule is nonsense. A happy life is a life lived in submission to King Jesus. And a happy marriage is a husband and wife submitting to Jesus together. Abram rushed the promise, and when it got tense, he abandoned his responsibility to love and to protect. And uh, I have an embarrassing story um, I actually told my wife this story last night, so that was so that she wasn't hearing it for the first time now, but uh, it was when I was in fifth grade, and uh, I, fifth grade was the time when, like, my mind towards girls went from, ooh, gross, to, like, mm, you're weird, but maybe in a good way, I don't know, um, and there was a girl in, in my grade level who liked me, and um, we were talking and at some point, one of us asked the other out. And I would like to think it was me who asked her out because, you know, I'm a man. Um, but it was probably her. And I was just like, okay, yeah. But that happened like just the two of us. And nobody saw that happen. And I didn't know exactly what I was agreeing to, but it was like exciting or whatever. But on some level, I knew that I wasn't ready for whatever that was. And instead of seeking wise counsel from my dad or the Lord, I just went with it. All was well until the next school day when she was telling all our classmates that we were boyfriend and girlfriend. And so this is happening throughout the day. And then we get to the playground and the, the girls are all clustered together and that's all they're talking about. And I'm sweating bullets because I have regrets. And at some point, one of the girls she's talking to comes over to me and asks if it's true, are we dating? And I'm standing there, and I still vividly remember this, looking over her shoulder, and I can see all those girls standing there, and I can see her staring at me, waiting to see me nod in affirmation. <laughs> and instead, I did my best little rascals impersonation as a member of the He-Man Woman Haters Club. I don't know if y'all seen that movie. And I was just like, ooh, gross, or something like that. And obviously, that was the end of that relationship. It was, it was brief, flash in the pan. But the, the thing is now, it's been 25 years or so since that happened, and I can still see the tears on her face. I can still see how hurt she was from the other side of the playground as she ran away, and we never talked to each other again. And that, that was a, you know, at, as, a, as a fifth grader, that was a deep hurt as a fifth grader. I, I brought pain because I was trying to make something happen that I wasn't ready for. And people do this in all kinds of ways. I think relationships is, is the most common one. If you're not mature enough to be handling someone else's heart, you shouldn't be. But you push through that conviction and then you leave a trail of brokenness in your wake. And uh, when, when we adopted our, our kids, um, our girls, we adopted through the foster system. And being involved in the foster system exposed to us people who rushed into adoption for a number of reasons. Many of those reasons were good and noble and right. But it was clearly, or it was clear that they weren't ready to bring broken children into their homes. 
And we saw people struggle to love kids well because they themselves weren't prepared to receive them. And we ourselves have been humbled, have been. This is present tense. This is continually happening to us as parents. Humbled by our parenting failures. We thought we were so ready. After years of infertility, we thought we were so ready to have kids. And we love our kids, and they're awesome. Um, But we weren't ready. We underestimated the anger that we were going to feel when they disobeyed, even though they're some of the cutest kids on the planet. Um, I feel like I can say that because none of my blood is in them. So it's like, I'm not bragging on myself. I'm just bragging on them. Anyway, um, sorry. Uh, Mastering the middle is learning to trust in the sovereignty of God, even when it takes longer than we want. And when we, again, when we take matters into our own hands and we rush it, we hurt ourselves and we hurt others. Now, we can be comforted to know that our mistakes and our hurt do not stop God. Our mistakes and our hurt, our mess ups, our failures are never going to stop God. Learning to trust him doesn't just mean trusting him to handle situations in our lives. It also means learning to trust that he can and still works through our mistakes. Abram and Sarah did a horrible, horrible thing to Hagar. But the Lord preserved Hagar's life and he preserved her son's life. While Hagar had been enslaved, her son was able to roam free. He also became a great nation, though the messiness of that family deserves its, its own uh, further study because it's, it's too much for me to try to unpack here and now. Um, but just know that God kept his promise to Hagar and to her son Ishmael. Though they messed up, Abram and Sarah would have their names changed to Abraham and Sarah and 13 more years after trying to rush God's promise. So a total of 23 years of waiting from when God originally made the promise, God would make good on that promise of a child. Two decades in the making. And his name was Isaac. The son that the promise would flow through, would continue through, and God's nation of people who grow, who, or I'm sorry, God's nation of people would grow and expand through Isaac despite the barrenness of Sarah and the doubt of Abraham. And with Isaac, if you read uh, that account of, of Abraham's relationship with Isaac, we see Abraham go from a man doubting God's promise, one who compromised his own convictions and hurt those around him to protect himself. He goes to a man, he becomes a man full of faith, even willing to sacrifice his only son on an altar to obey God because he trusted God so much that he thought God would keep his promise to him, even if that meant he would have to raise Isaac from the dead. That waiting did something to Abraham and Sarah. And the waiting does something to us. Abraham learned to trust the sovereignty of God. And even though he only had a son and two grandsons at the end of his life, he trusted that God was going to keep his word to them and make them into a great nation. And God did. While they were supposed to be the nation that brought heaven to earth again by submitting to God's rule and loving others, we actually see the nation of Israel, as they are named in the Old Testament, we see them fail over and over again in the Old Testament. They were a nation of promise, but they were not yet experiencing the fulfillment of that promise. Rather than being the nation that can deliver the world from the kingdoms of evil and selfishness, they became... uh, 
a nation that needed to be delivered as well. Though they fail, God's promise to Abraham does not. Throughout the Old Testament, there are more promises made about one who would come from Abraham's descendants and he would rule with power and authority. He would bring life and healing and he would set the nations free. And eventually he does come. And we've been singing about him this morning. His name was Jesus of Nazareth. He was the son of God. And he does not come into this story as a king in a palace, but he comes as a baby born of a virgin young woman and her fiance. He grows and he models an incredible humility, a love of God, a power, and a love of people. And then he's falsely accused to be the enemy of Rome because he has revealed the weakness of those in power rather than affirming their position. He was beaten, hung on a cross, and he died. The son of God slain by those he came to save. The promised savior dead before he could deliver his people. But he did not stay dead. He rose from the grave, proving himself to be God and proving all that he said to be true. He gave us a mission to proclaim and to live in the middle of the already here and the not yet arrived kingdom of God. He ascended into heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father, and he will one day come back to make all the wrong things right. And so now we find ourselves in the middle. Jesus has already conquered, but he has not yet returned as the victorious king. We are already freed from the sin that separates us from God, but we are not yet living fully in his presence. And this is hard. This is waiting. But learning to trust in God's sovereignty makes the waiting more enjoyable. I can tell you that our own infertility journey was painful and also beautiful. We adopted those three kids, but when we started trying to have kids, I wasn't sure if I'd even be able to adopt. I wasn't sure if I would even want to. I was afraid of what that would be like. I was afraid of how I would feel. And being in the middle of wanting kids and not having them taught us more about trusting in God's sovereignty than anything else in my life. We're still not great at it. And I fail on a regular basis. But when the time was right, God brought those beauties into our home when we were ready for it. And now we're trying to master the middle with them. It's our job to teach them how to navigate the middle of their lives by trusting in the sovereignty of God. And we're going to mess it up. But God is faithful. He is sovereign and we can trust him. And now, briefly, I just want to clarify that God's faithfulness to work through and around our mistakes does not give us permission to shrink or to shirk responsibility or stiff arm our convictions. God worked through Abram and Sarai's failure, but he did not ignore it. Imagine being Abram and Sarai again. You are God's chosen people, the two chosen people, and you have a beautiful promise gifted to you, but you tried to force it. And in doing so, you caused much pain. The woman you made your surrogate has fled your home with the unborn child that you think carries the promise that God gave you. And she fled because of the abuse she experienced in your home from your wife or, or from Sarah and because of Abram's passive complicity. What's God going to do now? Where is he? He is with Hagar. 
If you keep reading verses 7 through 16, you'll read that about Hagar's time in the wilderness. She was alone, she was pregnant, she was scared, and she was outcast. And you'll see how God came to her, reveals himself as the one who sees and the one who hears. And then he sends Hagar back to Abram and Sarai. But she's not going back to submit to the abuse. She's going back with a message of hope that God sees and God hears. And now when she's back to Abram and Sarai, she has a story to tell about what she experienced in the desert. And while God sees and God hears were comforting to Hagar, those words probably hit hard with conviction for Abram and Sarai. As God instructed Abram named the son that he had with Hagar, Ishmael. And that name means God hears. And I wonder if every time Abram called Ishmael's name, he remembered Hagar crying alone in the desert because of him. Being in the middle, waiting, with no end in sight, is hard. We want sympathy and we want deliverance, but often we also need conviction. We, we have to have conviction from the Lord for us to grow. God sees and he hears who you and I are. Or, or I'm sorry, he sees and hears when you and I and I yell at our kids in frustration. God sees that. God hears that. He sees and hears when you cut someone off in traffic, even if you're late for something important. He sees and hears when you gossip about her or him, even when you share that gossip couched as a prayer request. He sees and hears when you cheat on a test in school. He sees and hears when you ignore your neighbor because you think they're annoying. He sees and hears when you send that text you know you shouldn't have. He sees and hears when you choose to follow your own way instead of his. So let us live under his rule because he is worthy. Let us worship Jesus as our Savior and Lord and follow his example. Let us, by the power of the Holy Spirit, love God and people every day of our lives. Let us master the middle by trusting in the sovereignty of God. Church, if we do this together, we're going to see people running to Jesus instead of away from him. We're going to watch our friends, our family, our neighbors, our co-workers embrace Jesus as king. Let it be so. Let's pray. Father God, we, we love you and we praise you for who you are. You are the God who sees and the God who hears. And we pray that those who need to be comforted by those words this morning, who need to be comforted by that truth because of the abuse they've experienced, that they would be comforted by it and they would put their hope and trust in you. And God, for those of us who need to hear that as a conviction or as a warning, help us to remember that you see and you hear all of the things that we do in secret or in public and what, we, what runs through our minds. And rather than being overwhelmed by that thought, help us then to remember the grace and mercy that you've shown us on the cross. Help us to remember the blood that was poured out by, from your son on our behalf to cover our sin. Help us to remember his broken body. Help us to remember his resurrection. Help us to remember that we now can walk in newness of life because of what Jesus has done for us. God, we love you. Help us to trust in your sovereignty in the middle. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
our guest speaker, Pastor Aaron, with Mastering the Middle. He teaches that when we take matters into our own hands, we hurt ourselves, we hurt others, but it doesn't stop God from doing just what he said he would. Now, if you're blessed by anything you hear on this podcast and you feel led to give, feel free to text the word GIVE to 704-741-3705. And if you are anywhere near Charlotte, the surrounding areas, come on by and visit us at 465 South Cannon Boulevard in Kannapolis, North Carolina. Or you can join us online every Sunday at 1033 a.m. on Facebook and YouTube. And while you're there, go ahead and subscribe to us on YouTube and Facebook and even Instagram under Think Kingdom. And as always, you can go back, hear the whole Mastering the Middle series and so much more right here exclusively on our Think Kingdom podcast.